Hello and welcome to the Quick Start Podcast, a daily devotional hosted by the pastors and members of Living Hope Columbus. We're glad you're here. If you have a copy of God's Word, open up to Psalm 136. Let me catch you up on a couple things. I've maintained my composure this morning thus far, but I'm too excited, and I'm over that. First off, Stone Mission Bag hun- Hunger. We ended that last week. Um, so many people gave to that effort for us to uh, be able to help restock Stowe Mission down on Parsons Avenue, open 365 days a year, serving those, uh, as the Bible calls the least of these, that need a little bit of help um, in a season of need. And last week... Uh, over a three-week total as a church. We had our largest food drive ever. This was the second time we've done this in our history in three years. Collected 1,083 items in three weeks, which was, we filled up a 12-passenger van, like two levels high of stuff, which was just all glory to Jesus for that. Now, I know the big question is, who won, Team Joe or Team Aaron? Um, I got crushed. (laughs) And that's okay. Team Joe had 662 items collected for Stowe Mission. Team Aaron had 421 items. And so congratulations, those of you with the last name K through Z, you win. Um, We will have our revenge next year, okay? Now, uh, we did say that as as the losing pastor that next week something will happen to me. Um, We were gonna put it up to a vote, but changed my tune on that because (laughs) some of y'all are mean and you're like, We need to shave your head. Um, I'm not doing that. It's like when the Lord created me, he was like, let's use the mold of a pumpkin and put it on his shoulders. Um, So you're like, well, we should dye your hair purple. I don't have enough hair left. If it falls out, I'm out of luck, okay? So what we're going to do, and I didn't tell them this, so uh, two of our interns are out of town uh, this week with some work stuff. Uh, One of them's serving in kids' ministry. So what we're going to do next week, don't tell them, so we'll see if they watch the stream or not. But at the end of our service, we're gonna, we're gonna do the pieing, multiple pies, but the interns are gonna have to participate as well. And so we're gonna bring all of our kids in, they're gonna get to pie myself and all of our interns since we lost, but don't tell them, okay? We're gonna tell the interns next Sunday so that they are totally unaware of this. Now, <laughs> I gotta tell you this too. We're gonna get to the word in a, a second. I was reading this just a moment ago, Psalm 146, or I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm 145. It says, the Lord is great and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then here's the key. This isn't our our passage for today. But it says that one generation is going to declare your works to the next. Now, watch this. And I will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and your glorious majesty and your wondrous works. We will proclaim the power of your all-inspiring acts. And we will declare your greatness. Now watch this. This time last year, we were four days into a 30-day campaign to raise money to open up our Finding Hope Center ministry. It's been a, it was a dream about a year before that. We called together nonprofit partners, um, and we raised in 30 days just over $30,000. It was incredible. It was all Jesus in the middle of a pandemic season, so much shutdown, so much uncertainty for people still. And we were able to do that. And we started next door 
the ministry center. We're, we've served well over 100 families this past year. Last month, we furnished four apartments. We've helped with people that have moved here from other countries, domestic abuse situations, homelessness, so many opportunities that God has given us for the gospel's sake to speak into Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs and, and tell them about Jesus and develop relationships. We've been invited into mosques, not to learn from them, but to take Jesus with us. Like, only Jesus could do that. But the problem was... We only paid for year one. We're, we're a church plant. We're, we're three years old. Our, our money is always, you know, kind of on a, a shoestring. We're, we're tight, and we have to be. And so we've gone upstream on a few places the past six months trying to figure out, like, how are we going to pay for year two? And the timeline kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it got down to about three months, and we heard about some grant money that was maybe available. But then that came back around. It's like, no, that grant's not even written yet. And we're like, oh, my gosh, and the timeline is shrinking and it's shrinking, and it's shrinking, and this past week, Joe and I, we, we met, and we started asking the question, like, right, well, September 1 is coming up, and, like, how are we going to pay for the Finding Hope Center moving forward? And then what happened was we looked at the account. There was $10,000 in the Finding Hope Center account, which is a blessing. Well, that's only going to keep it open for about maybe four more months, and then, honestly, by Thursday morning, we had met with a new couple in the church to talk about grants, and that's what they did for a living before they retired. And so they're helping us in that process and just starting to ask. And Joe and I were asking this question like, we might have to have a hard conversation with the church soon because we might have to end up closing the Finding Hope Center by the end of the year. We just didn't know how we were going to keep it open. <laughs> Don't tell Jesus what he ain't going to do. So I, I wrote in my prayer journal um, a month ago. I said, as I was praying for the Finding Hope Center, I said, never, I said God's not done when you feel buried, you're actually planted. I said, don't forget you're still living in the middle of a miracle. On Thursday afternoon, after our meeting with those folks about the grant stuff, I'll be totally honest with you, like I was so overwhelmed by the processes associated, I'm sure some of you have been through that, overwhelmed beyond belief, um, that I, I wrote in this journal, this is my meeting journal, I wrote in this journal, I said, Lord, we need $20,000, please, because my heart is struggling right now, and I don't know where to turn or what to do. I sent an email that afternoon to the president of our, uh, it's called the North American Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and I said, hey, Dr. Azell, I met you six months ago. We had dinner, and I told you about our ministry center. You said that maybe there would be a little money available, that you, you could help us with a month or two of rent. So I'm thinking, all right, so we've got like through December covered. Maybe we can get it going through February, and we'll figure it out once we get to February. So Friday morning, and I'm, I'm in my mind, I've already prepared to have a tough conversation with y'all in about three weeks, because that's when this was going to have to happen. Friday morning, I'm in my daughter's room. I'm putting together this new bed, and my phone rings. It's a number I didn't know from Georgia, and I don't answer unknown numbers. So if you ever called me and I didn't answer, it's not because I'm a jerk. I just don't answer unknown numbers. So I ignored it right away. Then I look at my phone a couple minutes later, and I see that number, and it says these words, maybe Kevin Ezel. That's the president of our church planting arm of our denomination. And the first thing I thought was I forgot I sent him the email, and I'm like, I'm in trouble. Like, what have I done? Why is the president of North American Mission Board calling me? And I walked out in the living room, and I'm like, ghost white. And Liz is like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know, but Kevin Azell just called me, and I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's going on. And I walk out there, and, and I walk back into Colby's room, and then I get a text message. It says, hey, Aaron, it's Kevin. Um, give me a call when you get a second. I remember us talking about the Finding Hope Center. 
I'm like, like, I'm shaking at this point. Like, I'm so nervous. So I call him up, and I said, hey, hey, Dr. Zell, what's going on? And he said, hey, tell me about the ministry center again. So I told him what we've done this year. He said, that's so cool. He said, what do you guys need? I haven't given him a number, okay? I said, we need rent for this next year. I said, we're, we're not sure. I said, it's the 11th hour. Three weeks from now, we're going to have to have a tough conversation with our church. And he's like, okay, well, that would probably be a significant amount of money. He's like, what else do you need? And I said, we have this dream where we could only give away new mattresses, not just used ones. He said, well, what would that cost you? I said, well, you know, a twin's 100, queen's 150, king is $200. He's like, okay, so how much a month? I said, maybe $1,500. He's like, man, I love that. He said, you know what? He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, um, I believe in you guys. I believe in your church. I believe in what you've done this past year. And I want you to know that you're part of a bigger family than just Living Hope. And there's a whole lot of people that believe in your church. So there's a check for $20,000 to cover the entirety of next year's rent for your ministry center on behalf of your, your SEND Network, North, Amer North American Mission Board, and Southern Baptist Church family. Amen. Guys, in the 11th hour, like, if y'all wouldn't judge me and I'd be on the news, like, I would just take off down the street, <laughs> like, just running. Like Jesus came through. And what the beautiful part is, is that this new family that's part of our, our church, Frank and Vicki, they're going to be able to walk with us these next few months to establish longevity with the Finding Hope Center through, through grants that we've learned are now available to us. We just need help getting them because I, I don't know how to do that. And they're going to help us with that. But God did it. He did it, and we didn't even give Dr. Zell a number, but that's the number that we were praying towards because we can just write a check in full in the next few weeks to our landlord and, and just continue doing what we're doing, and it matters. It matters so much. Just on Friday alone, we had a lady call. She got emergency custody of a child, and they didn't have a bed. We met that need. Yesterday, Joe gets a call. It was a family that had been homeless for a number of years, got their first place to live, and they had no furniture. We met that need. And we step into these things with Jesus. Like, that's why we do this. And so God is so gracious and he's so kind. And if that doesn't excite you, something's wrong with you. Now, let's get to the scriptures this morning. Hey, Psalm chapter 136 is where we are today. We're going to talk about thankfulness this morning. How, how sovereign of God to make this message about thankfulness, considering all of these things. What's interesting about Psalm 136, and we're going to read this here in just a moment, is Psalm 136 is what's known in the Psalms as the great praise. This is a very specific psalm that was used as a, um, a reading and response in the worship in the tabernacle. And so we're going to go, we're going to kick it a little bit old school today. If you grew up in a traditional, maybe Baptist church, you've probably done some responsive reading before. And so uh, we're going to try that again. But what makes this psalm so cool is what would happen is the, the priest would stand up before the congregation and he would declare over them something that God had done or he would declare who God was during one of their festivals, the Passover included. And then what would happen is the congregation would respond with this phrase, his faithfulness endure, or his faithful love endures forever. So the priest would proclaim God's greatness, and then they would respond with his faithful love endures forever. So we're going to practice this, okay? This is participatory this morning. If you don't help me here, it's going to get so awkward, okay? So do we got our, can we put verse one up there? Is that going to be in there? Okay. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to pretend that we're in the tabernacle this morning, and I'm going to, I'm going to read verse one, the first part. So it's going to say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then as soon as I'm done saying that, you're going to say his faithful love endures forever, okay? Instructions clear? All right, all right, here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful 
Oh, y'all are good. Stand up. Let's go. We're doing this. It's 26 verses, but Jesus deserves it today. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights. We're only going to verse 10 if you were wondering. I won't make you do the whole thing. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. One more. And he struck, this is a good one to end on. And he struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Lord, what a day. Even in the midst of, Lord, I know there's so many with hard weeks, we can still declare that your faithful love endures forever and it drives us to a, a position of thanksgiving. God, would you teach us more of that this morning? What it looks like to live in that position of thankfulness because of, of who you are and what you've done. God, thank you that we can celebrate and praise you this morning. God, coming through in the 11th hour on our behalf to see the greatness of Jesus proclaimed throughout Northwest Columbus to men, women, and children who need to hear from you. God, would you give us ears to hear from you, hearts to receive your word, and hands and feet, God, to walk out the truths we encounter today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This quote we've been looking at these past few weeks, this is week three, is this, that the Bible is God talking to us, yet in the Psalms we learn how to talk to God. And we've looked at two different things so far. We've explored why we should praise God, and then last week how we should lament. But this morning I want us to really answer this question of why should we continually express thankfulness to God? And I think this psalm very clearly answers that question. The content of Psalm uh, 136 here can be seen in two main sections. The first few verses answer this idea of who God is. It shows us very clearly who he is. And then verses 4 through 26 show us what God has done. The first three verses, if you want to follow along in your Bible here in just a moment, really are, are David teaching the congregation and showing them why they should praise God simply for who he is. Then David spends the remainder, verse 4 through verse 26, helping Israel. This was a psalm written to the nation of Israel, helping Israel look back on all that God had done for them as a nation. From verse 1 through verse 26, this is a story of Israel's redemptive history and God's faithfulness to his people. I want to give you an important phrase. If you take notes and write stuff down, write this one down. God's past faithfulness informs our present situations, which then produces thankfulness in our lives. God's past faithfulness should inform our present situations and produce thankfulness in our lives. And that's what David's driving us in this congregation to do, is to remember we serve a faithful God. That even in those moments where it doesn't seem like it, and life doesn't seem good, that he is still good and he's still faithful. So the first thing the psalmist here, David, reminds us is this. This is point number one, if you're a note taker, is who God is. As David is penning these words, what he's doing in the first three verses is establishing for us a theology of who God is. How so? 
He, he teaches us here that the character and the position of God over all of the cosmos. Three theological truths I want you to see in these first few verses. Number one, God is good. You see, you know this isn't a Baptist church because some of y'all, you're probably like in your gut wanting to say all the time. You ever do that when you're growing up? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Maybe not. God is good. That's where he starts right out of the gates. It, goodness flows from our God. Peter writes that. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from who? God. From the heavens. Why? Because goodness flows from him. Now, think about this. I need to be reminded of this. We, we told ourselves last week, sometimes I have to tell my feelings how to feel because they often will lie to me. When your life is good, God is good. We would all affirm that. We like that. We say that often, good things going on around me, therefore God must be good. But can I remind you of this truth in verse 1? When your life is bad, He's still good. Remind your heart of that often. Things crashing down, falling apart, doesn't seem good, don't like it, don't like the way this makes me feel. David reminds this, this congregation, he reminds Israel that God is still good. Because his character never changes. It's a constant of who he is. Second, what does David show us in verse 2? That our God is the God of all gods. He's the God over all gods. There's no God like him. He is incomparable to any other God. He's the one true God over all creation. Every other God is a God, little g. He's the big G God. They're all fakes. He's the real one. God is the God of gods. Point number three. In verse 3, as we're reminded who God is, we see in verse 3 that He is also the, the Lord of Lords. What does that mean for us today? Lord of Lords is a designation of authority. David uses the personal name of God. We looked at that two weeks ago. Yahweh. Lord of Lords means that our God is the master of masters, the, the boss of bosses, the sovereign ruler of creation, incomparable with anyone or anything. Uh, that's some pretty grandiose God that we worship. But here's the beautiful thing. Is after every statement of theological truth for you and I, what does David write? That that God, no matter how grand he is, still has a faithful love for Israel and for you that endures forever. That because he's good, he's the Lord of lords, he's the God of all gods, that his character, this flowing trait from him, is an enduring covenant love for his people. I love if you, if you circle, maybe just in verse 1 of your Bible, circle that word love with me. Love, that, that phrase there, it's used in every verse of Psalm 136, 26 times. But it's also used in total 250 times in your New Testament. So the first 36 books of your Bible, you're going to see that very same word here of love used 250 times. Sometimes it's translated as the word mercy, not getting what I necessarily deserve. But here we see it as, as love. What does it mean? It's a covenant love. It means that God has made a promise to you and he's made a promise to Israel to love his people. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Our God has never broken a promise before and he never will. We're reminded each time we read about who God is and what he's done that he has a covenant love for us that will never go away. That's why it endures forever. Since God made a covenant with us that he holds up both ends of, God's going to keep his promise and it's going to be a love that's going to endure for all eternity. If God says he loves you, you never have to worry if he's going to take it back. 
We live in a society and a culture, and many of you have experienced conditional love. We serve a God of the unconditional. If he says, I love you, that love echoes forever. God's never going to turn his back and go, you know what? I actually changed my mind today. I don't love you anymore. No, no, no. He's going to love us forever. That's why his love endures forever. So what's our, our point of application here, friends? Understand this. That this side of the cross, how have we experienced the covenant love of God? It's Jesus. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are recipients of God's covenant love for us. Enemies now declared friends, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's the most like, unbelievable thing in all of the, the cosmos in human history that God takes the enemy of his, yet because of his covenant love makes him the friend of God. And if you have nothing else to be thankful for this morning... Understand this, and David reminds us in this congregation, if you have nothing else to be thankful for according to your perception, you can be thankful that you're a recipient of the covenant love of God. Like we didn't deserve it, but he has a faithful love that endures forever for his people. But David doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 4. He's again drawing the congregation and our hearts towards thankfulness. And now starting in verse 4, he takes us on this kind of storying journey and he's letting us see Israel's redemptive history, how, how God led them from creation to captivity to redemption, and how God sustained them through all of that. So he's showing them what God has done in their lives. So point number two, write this down, what God has done. What God has done. We're going to cover a lot from verses 4 through 26, so put your seatbelt on. It's going to be drinking from a fire hose. We'll get through this together. In verses 4 through 9, if you want to put some brackets around those in your Bible or highlight them, we see God's faithful love in the act of creation. That's the first thing God has created. We're reminded in verse 4 that the act of creation, right? So we're going to, let's, let's press the rewind button like, what, 6,000, 7,000 years ago at the act of creation. Friends, hear me. Let's, let's just get some basic theology here. Genesis chapter 1. Creation can only be brought forth by our God. No one, no thing could ever speak forth creation but our God. Creation did not happen by random chance or circumstance. It was not some weird gathering of goo that exploded. No, no, no. The Bible's very clear that creation demands a creator. And David reminds us, look at verse 5 here. Let me read this again. It says that our God, that's Yahweh from verse 1, made the heavens skillfully. I mean, just, just think about what David's pointing us to here. He, he says that everything you see in God's creation, there is intricacy and intention. Why? Because it was skillfully created by our God. Verse 6, from the way that the land covers the earth to the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. David wrote again in Psalm 19, he said that the heavens, they're, they're declaring God's glory. Like you can't look at the, the biggest, <laughs> we do this sometimes, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You go out at night and you just look up into the heavens. You don't look at the heavens and, and just think, eh, not a big deal, <laughs> whatever. You look at the heavens and you're like, oh my gosh. I was listening to the radio this week and they were talking like how many billions of galaxies are contained just within the Milky Way and how many, how many galaxies upon galaxies make up the universe and the infinite expanse of all that it is. Yet we read in the New Testament that our God holds all of that in the palm of his hands. Yet so from the largest universe to the smallest cell that we can experience, we see the thumbprint of God all over creation. Why? Because he has a skillful hand in all of it. Random things don't produce what we see and experience around us. It's the skillful hand 
of a creator. Hey, let's make it more specific to you and me. Psalm 139 says that you and I, that we were created with the skillful hand of a creator named Yahweh. Psalm 139 verse 13, David also writing that psalm, reminds you and me that the skillful hand of God knit you together in your mother's womb. That's incredible to me. In the Hebrew, that's actually a phrase that means you take multiple colors of thread, you weave them together into an intricate, beautiful tapestry. That's what God did when he was forming you in the womb of your mother. Psalm 139 verse 14, the skillful hand is at play because it says that when God created you, that he did so with a sense of uniqueness. No one is like you. You, There's never been another of you. You are 100% unique, yet also God created you with a sense of awe. I described it to my youth group years ago when I taught this passage. I said, when God made you, he made you unique, but when he was done, he stepped back and he's like, wow, I did good. Not because of how awesome that you are, that I am. We don't bring that to the table. But because he's an incredible creator with a skillful hand is what David's pointing us to. We're reminded in verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 139 that from the moment that your existence was brought forth, friends, from the moment that you were the size of the tip of a pencil, right? Because again, life starts at conception. It's not heartbeats. It's not breaths. It's it's conception, And from that moment there, we we see God's skillful hand in in us, that God is weaving together a beautiful tapestry that creates you and me. David reminds us that our God is a skillful creator. In his speaking of creation, the universe and the cosmos, it's his faithful love at work. Colossians 1.17 says that our God's creative activity hasn't stopped because he's holding it all together now. God in the heavens is holding together his creation. That's his faithful love at work. And although sin has temporarily marred God's creation, my Bible says in Revelation 21 and 22 that God's skillful, faithful love is going to be put on display in the future when he puts uh, sin out and he restores his creation once again. That's his faithful love on display. What do you have to be thankful for today? Well, you can be thankful for who God is, but you can also be thankful that you're one of his creations and you get to experience his creation. That's where David drives the congregation in Psalm 136. But then he keeps on going. This doesn't stop here. Y'all ready for this? David presses fast forward. We press rewind. Now we're pressing fast forward to the Exodus. David goes from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and he fast forwards to like Exodus chapter 4 on us now. He skips the entirety of Genesis in this passage, and he talks about God's deliverance of his people. He wants us to see God's deliverance of his people. If you've uh, read the Old Testament, maybe you've heard of this event in in Israel's history known as the Exodus. It's where God in Exodus chapter 3 meets Moses at this burning bush. Again, the bush, bush wasn't consumed, but what does God do? He speaks to Moses from this bush and he sends him and his brother Aaron to Egypt to deliver God's people from Egyptian captivity. They go, they speak to Pharaoh. Pharaoh denies their request. So what does God do? He sends a series of plagues across Egypt to get Pharaoh to release them. Exodus chapter 4 through Exodus chapter 10. Again, David's talking about all this here in Psalm chapter 136. Pharaoh continually refuses. And then the 10th plague comes, Exodus chapter 11 and 12, where God, we just read that just a few moments ago here in uh, Psalm 136. Look again with me. Uh, at verse, where are we at? There we are, verse 10. He struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. That's Exodus chapter 10 and 11 taking place. David's having them look back on this. So God strikes dead the firstborn of all the Egyptians except 
You remember what they had to do? They took the blood of a lamb. They put it across the top of their doorpost. They put it on the sides of their doorposts. And when the Lord came through that night to take the lives of all of those firstborn children, when he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he passed over those homes. You see Jesus? He passed over those homes. Verse 11 of, of Exodus chapter 13 says that Pharaoh released God's people after being on the receiving end of God's power. And as they're released, David reminds us here in Psalm 136, they were between a rock and a hard place, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. So what does God do? He says, Moses, take your hand and stretch it out. And by God's power, not Moses' power, Moses couldn't have parted the sea. He maybe had a bucket. That's all he could do. Moses stretches out his hand, and what does God do? He parts that sea in half. The Bible says it looked like a wall of water on both sides. And the Bible says, look at this right here in uh, Psalm 136, starting in verse 13. He divided the Red Sea, and God led Israel through, which Exodus talks about, but watch this. But God hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. They all perished. What was it? It was the reminder for the congregation David is reminding Israel in this psalm that they were in captivity in Egypt, but God's faithful love that endures forever brought them out. God didn't leave them there. Why? Because he made a covenant with Abraham that said, Abraham, your descendants will be my people and I will be their God forever. And what did we say a moment ago? God doesn't break promises. And so although they were in captivity, God expressed his divine power and his faithful love by delivering Israel. What's the application for us? That's what we want to know. It's enough of a history lesson. What's the application for us? Friends, hear me. This is the gospel. This is the gospel present right here because this side of the cross, you and I were held captive by sin. We were in sin's captivity, but God's faithful love refused to leave you there and refused to leave me there. You notice how everything in the Bible points back to Jesus Jesus is the pinnacle of God's story. So what did God's faithful love do? It drove him to a cross to defeat the sin that held us captive and deliver us back to himself. When they were putting that blood on that doorpost, that was the foreshadowing of Jesus, who because of Jesus' blood, we can be cleansed from all sin. And God's wrath that should have been poured out on you and should have been poured out on me, God passes over us and pours it out on Jesus instead. That's the faithful love of God on display. What do we have to be thankful for today? God didn't leave you captive in your sin. He didn't leave me captive in my sin. Aaron, my life's terrible, but you're not bound by sin anymore. Friends, we love this life way too much and don't love heaven enough sometimes. That wasn't in the notes. That's free. Even when life is terrible, remember, I can be thankful because I am a saved saint who is heaven-bound with Jesus for eternity. And that's good news. If that's all I have, that is enough. Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. Point number three, the very last one. David reminds Israel and he reminds us that we serve a God that sustains. We serve a God that sustains. Look again at verse 16. So they've been led out of Egyptian captivity. We see in verse 16 that they then went into the wilderness, years and years of wandering in the wilderness. So how is God's faithful love on display to Israel? He led his people. If you were to turn back to Exodus chapter 14, you would see two ways God led his people. A pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. You know, God could have let Israel wander alone in the wilderness, but he didn't. Why? Because he had a faithful love for his people. 
So what's the application for us? Don't miss the significance of this. This is, this is so important. God delivers you from the captivity of your sin. That's so important. But he doesn't leave you to wander through this life on your own. That's so, man, the moment that you got saved, I got saved July 3rd, 2003, when I was 15 years old. The moment that I got saved, Jesus didn't say, all right, buddy, good luck. I hope you, I'll see you in heaven, man. I, I hope you get it. You probably won't, but good luck. He didn't do that. When, when, you, when you met Jesus, Jesus didn't say, all right, your sins are forgiven. Eternity is secure. This is for you. Good luck. You're going to need it. <laughs> Go ahead. You're going to wander through life alone. Jesus doesn't do that. What, what's he do? The gospel says that the spirit of Jesus now dwells inside of me. And well, this, is, this is so important, right? Mm. He goes from God for us to God with us and God in us so that we don't wander alone. His faithful love causes him to do that. He's God in us and God with us now. Because Jesus came, he's God with us. Because the spirit of God came, he's God in us. That's good preaching right there. We have the spirit of Jesus in us, Romans chapter 8 says, leading us. Galatians chapter 5 says that I can walk by the spirit. Why? Because I serve a God whose faithful love endures forever. And he's in me and with me and working for me and through me. Verse 17 through 24, we're not going to walk through all of these because there's so much going on here. But we see David reminding Israel that in the face of opposition, God was in their corner. Through enemy and king that attacked, you see two specific kings there in verses 20 and 20, or I'm sorry, 19 and 20. You can read about those in Numbers chapter 21 where God came through on behalf of his people. What's the reminder? They never fought alone. That even in the wilderness as they were wandering, searching for the promised land, that God was always with them and his faithful love was always on display as he fought for them. How does this point us back to Jesus? Friends, we're reminded that as New Testament Jesus followers, that we still engage daily in this battle with sin. None of us have it all together. We're still fighting sin day by day. But what's the reminder here that David points us to? We don't fight alone. That Jesus defeated sin on the cross and ultimately Jesus will defeat sin for all eternity in Revelation chapter 1. But we, day by day, get to walk with the Spirit and the Spirit sustains us. We just have to choose are we going to obey Him and walk in the victory that we've already received. Look at verse 25 and we're going to start to land the plane here. It says He gives food to every creature and His faithful love endures forever. That's kind of a random verse in the midst of all of this where God's like, I struck down the firstborn and I'm the most amazing God ever. And, you know, I delivered you from Egyptian captivity and I defeated all of these kings and I give a lot of food to people. It's kind of just this random verse tucked away there. Where, where's David pointing our hearts? What's he telling Israel here? Hey, don't forget that in the big things and the little things, God has always cared for you. God's always cared for you in the big and the little. His care has always been there. In the big and the little things, God cares for us. And God's faithful love has always been on display. For Israel, the summation is this. God is good. He's the God above all gods and the Lord of all lords. And because of who he is, what he's created and what he's done, he's worthy of our thankfulness every day. He's always worthy of our thankfulness. For us, we serve the same God. We serve the same God who is still good. He's incomparable with any other God. He's the master of all creation, the Lord of all lords. And his love on display for us can always be seen on the cross. I don't feel like God loves me. Look back to the cross. That proves it. I don't feel like God loves me today. Tell your feelings to hush up and look at the cross. 
The cross was the evidence of God's love for you. He didn't leave you broken and separated and on a a track to receive the wrath of God. Instead, he delivered you from sin and brokenness through Jesus. Friends, we see the gospel over and over here that we serve a God who is a God of covenant, faithful love. Chases us down. And the summation is verse 26. Let me read this to you. As David is proclaiming over the congregation and they're responding about God's faithful love, look at verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Because when you've experienced the faithful covenant love of God through so many things, which if you're a Jesus follower, you have, what is the only response for you and I? Give thanks to the God of heaven. What was our first quote again? We're going to continue saying this over and over. The Bible is God talking to us. Yet in the Psalms, what do we learn? How to talk to God. And David shows us here through the gospel that that we need to talk to God daily in a posture of thankfulness. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for your word for this day. Lord, for the privilege that we've had to study through Psalm 136. So much tucked away in this chapter. But God, I pray that we're reminded of the sufficiency of the gospel in our lives. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, the covenant love of God took him to a cross for our sake. And if anybody this morning has not experienced that love, God, I pray that they would turn from their sins and give their life to Jesus in this moment. God, you're so good. And you're worthy of our thankfulness. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me as we sing and we honor God and we give him the worship he's deserving of. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Quick Start Podcast. For information on Living Hope Columbus, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and share this episode with a friend. We look forward to you joining us next time.